Welcome back to One on One. I am Danny Scott, joined with Annabelle Watson, and today we have a very special guest, Associated Press Writer for the WNBA, Doug Feinberg. And Doug, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, beautiful day in New York. What more could you ask for, right? It's been a, hey. a crazy spring weather-wise. If I have a nice day, you got to enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you recently, I think it was yesterday, in fact, you wrote an article about Brittany Griner and her detainment in Russia. And I was wondering, can you just explain that situation a little bit for anyone that doesn't know about it and explain it a little more in depth? Sure. It, it, it's a weird situation. I'll explain the best I can because there's a lot of unknown things that really anyone outside of Moscow probably doesn't know the exact details of. But the, the things we do know, let's go that way. So Brittany Griner, who plays for the Phoenix Mercury in the WNBA, also plays in Russia in the offseason because WNBA players earn over a million dollars playing in Russia, some of them like Brittany Griner. So she was returning to the country after they had a break in their, uh, their league for the FIBA World Cup qualifiers in early February. She returned. Um, the airport authorities um, allegedly found some sort of drug paraphernalia uh, for cannabis in her luggage and she was detained. Um, she's been there ever since. They had a, um, a postponement or a hearing to find more uh, information out till May 19th. So that's, that's all the facts we really know. She's being detained in Russia. Um, she's seen the U.S. consulate at least once. Uh, remember, she has lawyers there she sees more frequently. Um, but that, that's the gist of what we kind of know right now as far as her case goes in Russia. Um, so kind of going off of that, that situation is obviously very heavily political. So with that going on in the WNBA, how do you manage the balance between sports and politics? That's a great question. Um, as I said, I, I admit I know the, very little about the political world of Russia and how obviously that's going on. The, the, there's never a good time to get arrested in a foreign country. If that country is invading another country, and the relationship with the U.S. is going not so great, that's an even worse time for this to sort of happen. Um, I, I've said before, I, I don't want to speculate on why she was arrested, whether there were motives for it, because I don't know, and we deal in facts. So I don't want to start speculating why she was arrested, if it's true or not. But um, the timing was not great for, for her to be um, detained for what she was detained for with all that's going on in the political world. Um, obviously there was just a, the other day, the, the, uh, prisoner exchange of a Russian prisoner in the U S for, uh, Trevor Reed in Russia. A again, not to sound not knowing, but it's unclear as I wrote in the story, how that's going to affect Griner's case, because you just don't know. I mean, you don't know what, what they're trying to do. It took years for this guy to get released by Russia in the exchange. He'd been there for a few years, a former, a veteran Marine. So, you hope that things get done quicker than that for Brittany Griner. I mean, the WNBA season starts next weekend um, and she's obviously missed. And she's one of the best players in the league and probably one of the top 20, 25 players in the history of the league. But it's tough to say, Hey, you know, this could help her case that this happened or this could hurt her case. You just, it's unclear. And a lot of people had an outrage that, you know, why is this not front page news? Why is this not on the, the front of every newspaper and TV show every day? Part of that was that was her camp. They didn't want to do this in front because, again, we talked a little bit of escalation. If you try to 
back somebody in the corner with, hey, this get her out of there now. It may hurt her case. So I understand why you try to do it sort of behind the scenes. People are saying it's a male versus female athlete issue. I mean, yes, if a men's basketball player or a men's athlete, the level of Brittany is at was in the same situation, which probably wouldn't be the case because they're getting paid $50 million and $100 million and they probably wouldn't be in playing overseas that way. Would it have gotten more attention right away? I think maybe not because they would have tried to do the same way. Now it probably would be going a little more than it is for, for Griner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talk, you talk about the league and as a whole, what's been the consensus um, throughout the WNBA about this situation? So the, the players I've talked to, and I, I know a lot of them, they, they are obviously a very tight-knit group and they knew what was going on from the start. Some of her teammates in Russia play in the WNBA. They're, the league over there has, like Courtney Vandersloot plays for Chicago Sky. Um, John Cole Jones plays for Connecticut Sun. There are a few others on her team that play on that Russian team. So they, they've been relatively quiet about it for the reason that they don't want to flame the, flame the fire, so to speak, by coming out. I mean, anyone who comes out and makes any sort of political statement will not help her case. If anything, it would just escalate it. And that's no one wants that. Everyone wants her to come, come home. So they've been relatively quiet. The, the, the tactic changed. I was at the final four earlier this month and I taught there's a USA basketball training camp and a lot of the players talked for the first time and it was more, Hey, this could have been us. We, we, we play over there. And you know, if the pay was better here, we wouldn't have to go over there, which it's true and not, I mean, if, listen, if, if someone's paying you $500,000 to play in the WNBA, potentially through salaries and bonuses, but then they say, hey, you can earn a million playing in Russia, or even if it's a million and a million, if you can earn two million, you're probably trying to do that still. I mean, we're all smart people. Like, if, it's not like they're going to make $50 million playing in the U.S. So if you can make an extra million, why wouldn't you do it to make yourself a better basketball player? Um, so you kind of mentioned this in the previous question and in the article, but um, you talk about how so many WNBA players have to play overseas to supplement their income. Um, do you think that has any effect on the performance of the players during the regular WNBA season because they're getting significantly less rest than, you know, the typical NBA player? That's a great question. So I think, listen, if you do something year round on your body, so you're playing 12 months a year, with maybe a few weeks rest in between seasons, if that, and the wear and tear, and they're, they're again, they don't travel everywhere first class. They're on bus trips. They're on plane trips overseas. In the U.S., obviously, they're, they're flying commercial for the most part. It takes a toll on your body. So if you could have five months off to rest like other sports do, I'm sure that would help increase the play. I mean, listen, the play's gotten better every year in the WNBA that I've been covering since 2008. So it's getting better. But again, if you had five months off just to rest your body and work on your craft, I think it would get even better. Um, I, I think it's funny. I always have this argument with people like no one's forcing them to play overseas. I mean, we all when you make it to the real world, you have obviously get paid for what you do. Everyone wants to get paid more than what they get paid for the most part. Um, but you can make if you're working four months a year and getting paid $200,000 and you have your housing paid for your car paid for health insurance, other things, I'd say most of the country would sign up for that without too much trouble. Oh, and by the way, you're getting paid to do what you love to do. You're getting paid to play basketball. So they deserve more, but they're, they're not 
no one's saying you must go overseas to make money. We're paying you, we'll pay you zero dollars to play in the WNBA. They're worth more than they get here, but we should never lose sight of the fact that they get a pretty good salary in comparison to Joe average worker in the U S that, yeah, they should get paid more, but they don't get paid nothing. Yeah. So kind of going along with that, the WNBA has kind of been overshadowed by the NBA and, and other male sports. What do you think needs to change for them to get the recognition that they kind of deserve in, in today's or today's world, I guess you would say. Well, it's definitely growing. I mean, listen, they're, they're in their 26th year. The NBA, I think, just celebrated 75 years. So it's tough to you're, – you're comparing apples and oranges in a sense when you go, hey, this is where this league is. This is where the, the NBA is right now. NBA had a 50-year head start, which helps. Um, the, the movement towards women's sports has grown in the last few years. I mean, ratings have gone through the roof for them in the last year or two. I think in the pandemic of 2020 – Women's basketball have been one of the only sports to grow ratings-wise, whereas football, NBA, baseball all shrunk, which tells you that there's room to grow on the women's side. The Commissioner Kathy Engelbert's done a tremendous job of getting big-time companies to invest in the WNBA. They just had a Google's a change maker for them, AT&T. I mean, those are two of the biggest staples that there are in, in businesses. So they're, they're growing. It just people want – instant gratification, so to speak. And they want, why, why is it not, why are they not getting $5 million salaries right now? It takes time to grow a league. And I said, the trajectory is going the right way. The biggest thing they can do, I think is expand. I mean, there are only 12 markets right now, whereas the NBA, I think is 32 teams roughly. It's been a while since I've counted them, but I think it's around that number. So you only have a third of the fan base potentially with, with cities that they're in. I think they've talked and I've talked to commissioner Engelbert about they're going to expand in the next couple of years which will help grow the game. But I think they're going the right path. I mean, everyone wants, I guess, if you're doing a, a graph, it's been a while since I've done math, but the graph, you want the thing, the line going straight up in a, what are 45 degree angle, whereas it's, this is more of a gradual rise. So I, I think it's going the right direction. I think every number is trending the right way for the W, which is a good thing for the next 25 years versus where they've been for the first 25 or 26. Uh, so my, for my final question, um, I'm going to transition over to Fordham basketball. So we um, recently had the announcement of Keith Ergo as um, head coach, and the women recently appeared in the NIT tournament. So what do you see for the future of the Fordham men's and women's basketball programs? I, I think they're both on the rise. I mean, listen, Kyle Neptune did a nice job there for you guys on the men's side, and now he's going back to Villanova, which, I mean, that's that's a great jump you have a coach that was at Fordham obviously he had a Villanova connection but goes to one of the best programs in college basketball right now that's a sign that people respect what he did at the program I think the new coach will do a good job for them I think it's a program back on the rise I think it's been a while since Fordham's had a really good men's team that I can think of um, but I think they're going the right direction I mean Coach Gately on the women's side, she inherited a program that was not very good at all, if I remember correctly, that had, I think, set the record for futility with most consecutive losses or un, uh, winless season and carried over. And she's built that program to be really good. I mean, the NIT this year, they were in the NCAA, I believe, two years ago or three years ago, they, they had a run. They're consistently good. I, I actually was up there for the game against Princeton, which they won. And Princeton obviously had a great run in the NCAA tournament. And they have, a, I think, a solid foundation to have a really good team for now and years to come because of Coach Gatling, what she's built there. 
Yeah, so just one kind of final question. Um, talking about college and stuff, I know you just covered the WNBA draft. Uh, can you just talk about your experience covering that and kind of what that whole, um, I don't know what the correct word is, extravaganza for, for the WNBA is like? So the first thing I'll say is it's great to be back in person. I mean, it was the first time since 2019 that we actually had a draft where we were in person. The, the draftees could come enjoy the city, have their moment where they get their name called, walk on stage, shake the hand of the commissioner. I mean, that we just had the NFL draft for the first round the other night. Like that, that's, that's part of being drafted. That's the experience. So it was great to be back in person. And that's the first thing I'll say. It, it's fun. I mean, I, I've covered these kids in college and, and unlike the men's side where players can, can go one and done and graduate and go after one year to the NBA draft, you don't get to know them. These players are in college for four years on the women's side. You get to know them as players, as people. You tell their stories. You kind of grow up with them in a sense. So it's neat to sort of see their graduation, using a college term, to the pros. And they do a good job. I mean, it was at a venue downtown in Manhattan. Um, the, the families are there. Their college coaches are there. It, it's, it is an extravaganza. That's a good way to look at it. It's a great word. I, I think they're, they're still – listen, it's, it's not – the, I mean, the NFL draft, I think there was thousands or tens of thousands of people in Vegas for the, the picks. And it's not there. I don't think it ever will be there. But there's something sweet about an intimate setting, having family and friends there. And maybe down the road when the league has grown a little more, you could have a better experience with fans there. Listen, everyone remembers people booing, right? Isn't that the thing of, the, of these drafts when you boo a draft pick? It's a sign of respect in a sense that your team, like you want somebody else there. It's not against the player you're drafting. It's just it's that's what these things have become. So I, I think it was a great experience. I had a, a wonderful time there. And again, the biggest thing to me was being back in person and having the draft feel as opposed to watching on TV, which is fun, but it's not the same as actually seeing them, the motions of being drafted and, and walking on stage and, and shaking the hand and getting the Jersey. Awesome. Well, Doug, thank you so much. I think that's just going to about wrap it up for us. Um, I hope you have a great day and uh, good luck with this upcoming WNBA season. Thanks, guys. You too.